Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and today's episode features Real Life Ministries giving their third track session at the forum last year. And they've been talking to us about making the shift in international missions to relational discipleship. They talk through the challenges and also how to build a sustainable and repeatable process. Jim Putman from Real Life Church, Post Falls, Idaho, joins them in the conversation today, so you're in for a real treat. Let's jump in and hear from Dave and Janelle and Jim. I hope you enjoy the episode. Here we go. All right, how are we doing? Okay. So we're going to really kind of center on how this time, how you would make a shift from whatever you've been doing in missions, whether you're the senior pastor, whether you're boots on the ground in the country, whatever, whether you're leading a team, missions team leader, how would you make that shift if this really hasn't been your focus, if something else has been the focus or priority, how would we make the shift to disciple-focused international missions? Um, So if you, at the end of the session, if we haven't really clarified how, then you can stay and you get your money back. Do that, (laughs) right? So just to kind of go over, first we hit the why, and who could who could review that for us again? Why would we we say we want to make discipleship the focus of our international missions? It's biblical. It's biblical. Yeah, that's a good reason, right? Okay, because because really that the thing we call the Great Commission came from Jesus, and that's what he said: right? go and make disciples, not go and make converts, not go and do good works. So that's the reason. We don't need any more reason than that. But also we see the, the fruits of doing it this way. We went through some of the scriptures that when we say go and make disciples, we've got to have his definition of disciple, not, not mine, not yours, right? So we talked about disciple, like what that would look like. Who can remember, like what are we shooting for? Just an easy definition of what would be a disciple of Jesus. Somebody who is... Oh, awesome. You get the prize. Good job. Good job. So following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. And we we looked up a bunch of other scriptures that said, this is what God means when he says disciple. And we got to have that definition. And then we looked at, uh, if there was somebody, anybody who was not here last session, Janelle will get you some of these. Uh, But we looked at a pathway of like, if we want to come alongside a pastor in another country um, and help them be disciples who lead disciple-making churches, what's the journey we take alongside them? What's the pathway we lead them down? So today we're going to talk about, or this session we'll talk about some other stuff, but wanted to just give Jim the floor to start out. He, As a senior pastor, he's seen a lot around the world. He's seen a lot even at real life as, as the focus was um, refined to be on discipleship. So... Uh, in making that shift, what are some of the things that are you think are of importance and priority to do and make that shift? Um, well, when I, whenever I think about shifting something, I always think about uh, first, what does it look like to be what I'm asking other people to be? There's a passage of scripture that has always kind of haunted me as as a pastor, it's when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tie burdens on people's back that you yourself are not willing to lift a finger to help care. Right? So 
If I'm asking the people in our church to be disciple makers, then am I a disciple maker? And, and if the goal is to unleash an army of people to wherever they work, live, and play as personal disciple makers, um, if all they do is see me on the stage, uh, and that's all I'm doing is trying to disciple in mass, then what I'm doing is not actually reproducible by them. They don't have a place where they stand up on the stage and speak, so they can't actually do what I'm doing. But they can, if I'm a personal disciple maker, who, in addition to that, I, I speak. Well, now, the biggest part of what I do, they can actually do. And again, a lot, a lot of times, the, the professional pastors are not doing something that the regular person can actually do. Does that make sense to you? And since people just go to church, the only model they see is something they can't actually do, so I'll just come and sit. And the devil always wants to get people to just come and sit and let somebody else do the work. And so when it comes to uh, making a shift for discipleship, what I always want is people that are actually doing something to talk about it. I don't want somebody who's talking about something they're not actually doing. So when it comes to our church, um, the first shift is to make sure that that the people that are are going to missions or going wherever are not on a missions trip where they pretend to be a missionary for a week a year. They're actually disciple makers in the culture they're actually living in. Because you're asking those people out there to be disciple makers in the culture they actually live in. So if you're not actually being a disciple maker in the culture you're living in, what right do you have to ask them to be their regular everyday people to be a, 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 a missionary in the culture that they're in? So it's to me, it's always, all right, what are we doing here locally? And is it a methodology as a church, as individuals, that would even suggest another country take up? Is this making any question, any sense to you? So if we're going to go over to another country, what are we asking them to do in their country? Well, if we're not doing it in our country, then why would I have the right to ask them to do something that we're not actually doing? And so for me, it's like, okay, the people that I want to send there are actually disciple makers here in a place that's uncomfortable, a lifestyle discipleship. Then I'm going to let them go talk about a lifestyle discipleship wherever they're at. I want it to be regular everyday people uh, or pastors who are still living a disciple maker's life uh, here to be the ones who represent that and live that out there. So for me, it's always an integrity issue. So what is it that I'm actually exporting to another country? And unfortunately in America, you know, the rest, a lot, many of you know this, the rest of the world kind of sees us as being a place that has all the answers. The problem is, how has the church in America actually worked? Terribly. Why would anybody want to model what we're doing? So what are we exporting? <clears throat> we're talking about Jesus, but we want to export his form of discipleship, which means those who represent us out there need to be living that here before we go out there. So, um, so for us, it was like, what are we actually living out here? And is, it, is this what God wants us to, to do? And, and are we living out? Now we can export it. So the church needs to be a place that's living out what we say we believe. The ones we send need to be people that are going to take this and, and suggest them as practitioners, not consultants who have nice ideas, as practitioners over there 
it needs to be led by people that are actually doing it in our culture, that which we want them to do in their culture. Okay, so it's, it's actually going, all right. Now, unfortunately for us, you know, when it comes to missions, um, we were doing something locally, but we were not actually, um, we, we were, we were kind of like whatever Christian had a passion for, like, a, you know, an orphanage, um, whatever it was, you know, outside of our, our uh, immediate area. We were doing it here, but what we were supporting out there wasn't really what we were doing. And so, you know, a lot of times what we're doing out there is right, but what we're not doing here is wrong. You know, we're advocating out there what we're not actually doing. In our case, we were doing something that we were, we were not supporting. We were supporting people's pet projects, or we were sending people to run an orphanage over there, right? But they weren't actually making disciples. They were caring for people. So for us, the shift became, um, how do we cut off some of the things that we've done before? And you know this. Missions people are passionate about their projects. How do we go, no, we're not going to export something we're not actually doing here. So how do we align what we're doing out there with what we're doing here? Because we think this is right. We don't think that's right. We think this is right. And then then you have to go through and go, all right. Um, and by the way, Dave's the one who, who <laughs> came and he comes on, and he, and he actually did take what we were doing to his, where his, his mission was. And it was working here, and it was working there. And then when he would come back, he'd go, why, why are we doing out there what we're not doing here? Why aren't we doing there what we are doing here? I'm doing that. Why aren't the rest of these people? And then we asked Dave to come on our team. And the first thing he did is he went, why are we supporting all these things that we're not actually doing what we say we believe? And so then there had to be, I mean, uh, uh, so many conversations. We had to go slow to go fast. We had to grandfather some people in for a period of time. Uh, we're going to keep doing that. But, but anything new is going to look like this, right? And so it's taken years to kind of wean off some of what we were doing. Because it's not that it was a bad thing. An orphanage is not a bad thing. Um, uh, you know, some of the stuff we were doing are not bad things. So it's not like we're choosing between evil and good. We're just going, okay, we only have so many, so many resources. We only have so much time and energy. What, what are we going to say is the big, this is what we're doing. This is what we're, it'd be aligned, not just at the local church level, but at the national level. And that way, the people that we're raising up locally are the experts nationally. Instead of what we were raising up as disciple makers, but they're not orphanage care workers. So our regular person over here couldn't actually do that over there. But our regular people here could actually be connected to disciple making there. Because it was the same thing, just in a different language, in a different culture. So we had to go through it and philosophically align with that. And I had to have somebody who had tough skin, but a soft heart. <laughs> right? So a great team of people that were practitioners... We had to go slow with some of it because some people really invested in some other things. And we had to say, hey, you're, you're welcome to do this on your own time. But here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. 
And, and then how does the missions actually work together with our local church? So it's aligning it, but then going, how do, how do our, how do our local people actually get involved in that out there? And, and so there's aligning it philosophically so it's possible, but then you have to build a system that actually makes that happen. Does that make sense? Sometimes it's not possible, but if they are aligned, it is possible. You just may not have a system to do that yet. And so Dave is the one who, in that field, super passionate about it, leads a small group, disciple-making here. He's like, we want to we take these regular, everyday people and connect them to these churches. And I actually didn't think it would work because I was putting on the culture of the American pastor on the, 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 uh, the native pastors. In America, you know, the pastor isn't really going to listen to a lay person um, because they don't have the college degree. They don't have the do, do whatever. They're not going to listen. And I was putting that on because Dave's idea was, let's take our coaches, our small group leader volunteers, and let's connect them to a pastor in Uganda. Well, I'm going, well, if that pastor was an American pastor, he's like, why are you giving me a volunteer to be my influence on this? But that's not how those the Ugandans saw it. And the truth is, most pastors, even in Uganda, were trained by what we do in America. They didn't know how to actually make disciples. They knew how to run services, even in Uganda. Well, our people didn't know how to run services, but they did know how to make disciples in small groups. These people don't need to know people who run it. They'd already learned that. It's just not working. These people know how to make disciples, and they don't see it that way. And so Dave's idea was to go, let's take regular everyday people who know how to make disciples, connect them to people that are running services. These people will actually listen. These guys know how to actually make disciples better than they do. And it just became this, we're feeding internationally what we're doing nationally and it connected and so if i were to go through the stages of all of this again i had to have for me i had to have somebody that believed and lived out what we believed here and was bought on that and said no this is how we do it and it works everywhere jesus's model works everywhere (coughs) it's not just you know it works there no jesus is the designer of the church and and it works everywhere because he knows people when he created it if you do it his way it works whether you have a big sound system or a big building or whatever, it works. And so Dave absolutely believed that, and he lived that out here. So I already knew I wanted Dave to be out there um, representing this. But, but Dave also, uh, so you've got to have the right guy who really believes what you're doing. You have to have a, a, a value system that guides your decision-making process. And then... You know, we'll talk about, I think in the next session, we're talking about um, the, um, the who. Mm-hmm. Our methodology is we don't want America to be the hero. We want Jesus to be the hero. Amen. People will listen to us because we're Americans. But if at the end of the day, that's the only reason they listen to us when we're done, it means that we glorified ourselves and not Jesus and his methods. Mm-hmm. And we want the hero to the heroes to be the nationals. We're equippers. We're, if a pastor is supposed to be a equipper here, then why wouldn't a pastor be an equipper there? And why wouldn't we be equipping them to, to be the, the heroes? 
And, and we all know this, that money could be shut off at any time. If we don't give them a reproducible system that they can manage without us, we actually made a mistake. Does that make sense? So, so how do we do it in such a way that we're a help to the nationals? We're not making Americans hero, the heroes. You know, where we let the, the and by the way, we work with places all around the world where they go right past the local church, they start digging wells. Well, then we leave. The local church isn't the hero. We're gone. Now they have water. They don't have living water. Right? So, you know, Dave and our team is like, no, we're going to go in, work with the local church, train them to be the heroes in their own areas, and work with the nationals, and then we're going to keep stepping back, just like we should be as pastors in a church. Not come and watch us. We're equipping you and stepping back, and you're getting in the game, and you are the disciple makers. It's the same everywhere. Does that make sense to you? So philosophically, it's going, all right, what are we really doing? There's, it's so much is in, the, in the church of today, it's been built around wrong processes, wrong definitions. It's the same in missions. Why wouldn't it be the same? So we have to start with our own church, lining these things up. Before you start messing with missions, your first responsibility is locally, where do you live? You're a missionary to where you live. That's first. Then you start working on exporting what you're doing as God opens doors. So shift one is local shift, and you're doing it locally. Shift two, now let's start aligning what we're doing internationally, right? And, and so there's this process that goes through. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, yeah. You're on a roll. Well, that's all I got. What? <laughs> You're going to stop right there? Well, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, in a group no. like this, I mean, you can have questions and, and whatever. So, yeah, shoot. Don't sit down yet. Uh, so the questions, remember we talked about hard questions for Jim. This is your chance. So, By the way, why don't I go on all the trips around the world? Because you're trying to reproduce yourself. If I have to, it undermines what I believe. Yeah, it's the opposite of what you preach. Right. So Dave was a missionary, right? But he came home. He was living this out. He actually made the shift on the mission field before he ever, we ever hired him. He actually lived it out, changed it, got plugged into our church, was making disciples. And then all of a sudden he's like, man, I want to do this at real life. Well, we could have gone, no, I'm going to do it. I'm the one who goes around nationally. Right. But no. And Dave could go. I'm the one who goes all over. But now Dave's drawn in Paul and he's got coaches from all. And we got people traveling all over that aren't pastors. Even they're just small group leaders who know how to make disciples and they're working with it. So Dave doesn't feel he has to go on every trip. He may be the, you know, the sledgehammer that breaks the ground, you know, but then he plants these people and now he steps back. And it's the, the most successful things we've got going um, right now is like the gutter roots in Burundi. You've got the Ugandans, the Philippine, Philippines. You've got different people that are local. They're not, you're not a pastor, right? And what you've got going on in the Philippines with pastors is beyond anything. You know, I, you just don't even hear it. And, and, and pretty soon they become movements that you just, the philosophy and doing it Jesus way just takes off and, and now, you know, Dave's encouraging regular people to, you know, and they're going to Burundi without your permission, and they're staying for months, and, and you know, and you're in the Philippines doing whatever, and, and every once in a while you let us know what's going on and invite us to come, and you, we're not needed, right? 
But we, we actually want to see it. We want to see what we didn't do. We want to see it. You understand what I'm saying? And you're getting the regular everyday people. But again, they have to be living it before we're going to let you export it because you don't get to go tell those people to do something you're not doing in your own country. So I have people all the time, I want to be a missionary. Well, you already are a missionary. We're all missionaries. Question is, why would I send you to another country if you're not doing it here? Well, I'm just so busy over there. No, everybody's busy. You have to be a disciple maker. That gives you the credibility to actually tell somebody else to do it. Until you do it, shut up. Awesome. But don't sit down. <laughs> because thoughts thoughts on what Jim is saying, comments, questions. I have a question. Yeah, you bet. Um, I wonder if you guys could speak to the idea of short-term mission trips, mm. particularly with younger people uh, mm-hmm. who maybe aren't as spiritually mature. Do you do you see that as a positive thing? Do you feel like there should be some caution there? I, I just love to hear your thoughts on it. Cool. Well, like I'm I'm going to Uganda this next year with my men's group. Um, to be honest with you, I wanted to be an encouragement to them, but it's more a chance for me to invest in our guys. So it's kind of, it's a yes and, okay. right? Some of these guys are going to get passionate about missions by going, but they're already in a small group and they're being disciples all the time. So this isn't a, I do nothing and go on a missions trip. Um, we're going to go and help them do some things with their guys that, that we can help them do that our guys have the skills to do. They don't have the skills over there, the building and those kind of things. But they're going to be involved in some trainings. They're going to be involved in relationship building. So, yes, I absolutely believe in missions trips. But, again, what are you shooting for? What's the the value of it? Um, How do you run it in such a way that you're a blessing to those people, but you're also, as a part of a discipleship process in your own people, to inspire them to be disciple makers, right? So, Yes, it's helpful, but it'll be far more helpful for our guys as a part of their discipleship process. And the, and the trip you're taking, it could be done. I mean, you're doing it in, in Uganda, but it could be done in, in Pakistan or yeah, Cambodia. Or whatever. But what, where are you going to do it and why there? Um, well, we have a guy who is a volunteer. He's on staff now. Who was a, He was in my first small group 20 years ago, and he used to call me drunk all the time. And I'd say, I'm not talking to you until you sober up and his marriage is in trouble. And now he's just. A, so he didn't call you drunk. He called you when he was drunk. He was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> just to clarify, yeah. Jim was not drinking. I wasn't drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, through this whole process, you know, he came into the Lord. He was in a group. He became a disciple maker. He had a passion. Dave actually asked him to come and help in the missions team. And the guy's like, I don't want to help in the missions team. And that's a whole other story. And and uh, but he fell in love with it. So then Dave connected him to a guy named Ronald. We have a missions thing. Ronald comes over for training. Dave puts Paul volunteer and and Ronald together. Then Dave and or then uh, then um, Paul and Stephanie go over to visit Ronald. They become fast friends. Pretty soon they're talking every night. Pretty soon he's over there. You know, Dave's facilitating that. Dave's, in, you know, kind of coaching through that whole process. But pretty soon, Ronald comes from one small church to now, I don't even know how many. 30-something. 30 30 30-some churches. Just from the training and coaching and discipleship, Paul knew how to make a disciple and be a disciple because he'd been disciple. He didn't know how to lead a church, but he knew how to do that. And that's what Ronald needed and a friend. And so that led to 30 churches. Then that led to they, they got 500 
widows and orphans, and they connected the widows with the orphans, and then they built houses for them, and then they bought property. And pretty soon, there's this thing going on over there that is beyond phenomenal that was started by a volunteer with a pastor of a very small Ugandan church. And so I go over there just because he's always like, want me to go over there. So I decide to go over there and do a couple of trainings. And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, first of all, nobody needs me here. This is a machine run by a volunteer. In which now whole churches and pastors are coming in to be trained because they're all going, what in the world is going? And Ronald is the hero, the Ugandan, with a guy with a big old beard that looks like a gnome. A white guy that's that's uh, helping this Ronald be the hero, and 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 Paul's the hero, and he's a lay person. And I come in, and they don't know who I am, and they don't really care. And and then I'm like, man, they need some work done. I want to bring a group over here because I want my guys to experience what God is doing over here, and be an encouragement to them too. You know, and and so the the work was done. Ronald made the shift in his church to a disciple making church. Uh, it happened with Paul and Ronald and, you know, Dave supported and helped and encouraged, but I mean, honestly, they don't need me. Either. They don't need you either. I mean, him and I are sitting around watching Paul up there do the teaching and Paul doesn't have any Bible college degree. Paul is, was a cabinet maker or no, a countertop guy and who used to be a drunk and, and him and his wife are loved, beloved and, and this group is, I mean, the pastors and the stuff and the size of the church and the, and, and the salvations. And the, now we're just, how do we pour gasoline on this? We don't have to spend hours trying to light the fire. It's already on fire. And in fact, how do we slow it down a little bit to make sure that steps aren't skipped? And, you know, so there's all this pre-work, but it started with him going, all right, we're going to connect, which I would have never done. I argued with him. I said, okay, I'll let you give it a shot. He was right. I was wrong. Well, hate to wait, say that. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so we wouldn't be sending a small group there or a youth group or any group unless it was a church that we had been doing this journey with. Yeah. And so you can, you know, it's kind of like small group. You could say, is small group a good thing or a bad thing? Well, yes. It could be. Depends on what's going on in the group. So are, are short-term trips a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on the intentionality behind it, the connections, the preparation, the target, the purpose, all those kind of things. So, so doing a short-term trip can be great if it's done the right way for the right reasons, right? So more gasoline, not so perfect thing. So we're in this space where 2020 opened up a door for us in Uganda. Um, uh, some of our teams started discipling a group there. Um, sent it, after a year of, uh, and a half of discipling, like it's it's moving through this. Sent a team in country uh, first of end, of, end of August and made some even more connections. And so now there's a space where we haven't put a, a dime into anything there, but poor gasoline. Like as a as a steward of the resources of the body, like how do we how do we rightly invest that? Because you know. Helping can hurt, right? Money can money can mess it up, and so we want to invest in the right place. So here's what Paul did. Yeah, tell me. I'm... Uh, rather rather than having monthly support come in, which can be cut off, he had them give 
a, a certain amount of money to buy something like the land. And the, most of the group that's been here for all the sessions have heard this story. Okay. Somehow. somehow. So he bought, no, he no, bought, he bought the land so that they could grow vegetables on it. And it was theirs and self-supporting. They did something that they could, they built some stuff on it that they could rent out. So that the clinic that they built had a constant inflow of income that do, is not um, dependent upon America. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So, yes, we're going to give, but we're going to give strategically in such a way that it doesn't um, become dependent upon us, that it can function without us. And, and even to the point as they process through that, where now, you know, Ronald, Ronald was like, you know, hey, we have some things. Can you help with this? Can you help with this? And so Paul worked with Ronald to say, well, let's let's set up a process to where if you have a need, let's let's go through this process. Can you guys meet that need? Uh, is this a, an urgent need, a one-time thing? Is it an ongoing thing? And so now Ronald will actually uh, just do that process yeah. himself and hardly ever, ever. Now we have to ask him, well, is there anything? Because, you know, they're, they're become self-sufficient now. And they get to stay, instead of them being like, you know, welfare kids. Oh, man, that's what we don't want, right? They're like, yeah. look what God is doing through us that we thought of, that we did together, right? I mean, it's Their just, impact on the community is, is huge. It's not the Americans came and saved us. It's the Ugandans at that church that stepped in. I mean, it's just like, it's just awesome. I just get all excited about it. And again, it's having... You know, that's why I would say missions pastors spending time with Dave and thinking through not only how do you connect the discipleship process to what's happening and going through that training. So this is all lined up, you know, is is uh, it's huge. All right. Other questions? Well, Thoughts? Uh, yep. I don't know if this works what you're talking about, but when do you get an idea of the other person's ready that you're discipling to go to that next level? You're sort of- now are you talking about the pastor we're working with or the person on our team? Maybe both and or maybe take both of them. So, and the question then is, how do you know they're ready to go to the next level? Yeah, yeah. How do you know they're ready to take Well, you're the one that's drawing all these people out, so you tell them. I just like it so much when, when you explain it better than me. <laughs> well, I may explain it better, but you do it better. <laughs> <laughs> mm, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's it really is step by step, and that's the... So we, you know, that thing we passed out last time. Yeah. Those, are, those are the big bullet point steps. Okay. There's sub steps in between each of that. And and I would just say this: How can you accurately assess these things about discipleship? Only in real relationship. So there aren't, you know, you can go by numbers, you can go by other markers, but if you're going to know when people are ready for the next step, you have to know them deep enough to know their their level of spiritual maturity. Their, their capabilities, what things are really like. Uh, I use this example, like if you want to know about my marriage with Janelle, you could, you could say, well, you know, he's a pastor and she's, a, she's on staff at the church, so I'm sure it's a great marriage. Would that be accurate? You don't know. You don't know. Or you could say, well, let me, let me ask Dave, how's your marriage? <laughs> hey, this is my story. Ask Janelle. You, you told me that. <laughs> And so if you ask me and I say, our marriage is perfect. We actually never fight. We love each other. We can't stand to be apart. You know, all these, you know, then what do you know about my marriage? You lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, you don't know anything. 
So better, you could ask Janelle. Let's see, Jim's smart. He would do that. And then you get a better picture. But how? But even then, would you really know? The only way you can know is to be in deep enough relationships, spend enough time in enough environments that you you see it. And that's the same. So that's why we say all the, all these things of walking, you know, the story of Pastor Ronald and Paul, Ronald and Lucina, Paul and Stephanie doing this journey together. It's been 10 years, nine years, something like that. And there it's, it only happens in real relationship and it happens slowly. So uh, U.S. Church, we want the microwave version. We want the book, the curriculum, the program, the training. Doesn't. Not going to happen. Jay? Well, are you, you going to tell them about our marriage? Yeah. <laughs> well, time, time to pray. <laughs> for you? Yeah, for me. I just wanted to add about the question about how you know when somebody's ready. I just wanted to say from, from our church, it feels like we, we don't wait until people are ready. Mm. Getting in the game is more important mm. than mm. feeling yeah. like you're perfectly ready. Yeah. Taking a step and trying is mm-hmm. something we see every day. And then when you fail a little bit, somebody's patting on the back and saying, you can do this, and that's how we get started. Yeah, so there's that balance there. You know, you don't want to put responsibilities, title, position, authority on somebody that's not spiritually mature enough to handle it. But on the other hand, you don't want to wait forever. You know, So yeah, getting people in the game. Um, there's a phrase that I've never heard Jim say this, but I heard it early on when I came to Real Life Ministries that's, that was, uh, don't worry, be crappy. Uh, and the idea was, you know, you don't, don't wait until you've got all your ducks in a row and perfect because you're never going to do anything. Do your best, get in there, try it, assess, evaluate, move on. Yep. You don't get excellent by sitting on the bench, yep. but you also don't get excellent by getting thrown in the game without coaching. Right. Mm. That's good. So that balance. Yes. Of the idea, you know, all of it I I grasp, but the idea that you bring uh, from a third world, very poor country over to America Mm. and, you know, we're so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And uh, how has that worked? Because that's that's when you first said that. uh, We go over there and all that. I understand Mm -hmm. that. But bringing them yep. here, and they live in, and you know, seeing the, you know, mm-hmm. your two or three cars, and uh, your American life, uh, that that part concerns. Yeah. You know, I work in a third world, the Philippines. Yep. That. Uh, no, it's a great question. I'll just kind of repeat it a little bit for the recording, like Mark told me to do. But uh, no, it, so the question is, uh, how about bringing the pastors our way to America and having them just see the the you know the difference in economy wealth luxury the the way we live isn't that isn't that uh, dangerous so i just say two things first of all we're from idaho so it's not that big a deal (laughs) pretty much equal no Uh, you know we're living in the woods in a cabin in a shack and and so they're used to that but on a serious note uh, there is you have we have to be intentional and cautious about that so the relationship has to be strong enough. We have actually even experienced that where we have to have real conversations about, because, you know, they can get over there and go, this is what I want. Uh, and so to help them, you know, work through that and, and say, see, one of the things that really helps us in that is that when we go their way, if we stay in their house and eat their food and spend time with them in their culture, 
so that they don't see that, that, oh, the Americans come and they need this level of luxury even to come over to our country. So it just, it helps to be real both ways. But the relationships get deep enough that you can have any kind of conversation, including, including that. Yeah, if they come and you even like walk in your building, right? Mm-hmm. Not the same thing. So if you just leave it up to their perception and you mm-hmm. don't actually talk through anything, you know, it's like you have kids that live in your house and then they go, you have to go get an apartment and they're, they're like, well, I want this. And you have to have a conversation. Dude, this is where I started. This is where you're starting. If you don't have the relationships and work through all that stuff at any level, that, that's a possibility. And yeah, what was your name? Travis. Travis. Travis brought up that concept, you know, when helping hurts. And, and that's, that's part of the conversation too. Janelle and I experienced that in Mexico as we, we started ministering down there and we loved the joy of the people and how happy they were in the midst of their hardships. And then we started to try to help them become Americans and, and we see them lose their joy and they want this and they want that. And, and so, yeah, having those conversations about, about where the real riches are and, and uh, what, what we're here on earth for and those kind of things. Yeah. And what kind of visa do you use to bring in your, your people? What kind of visa do, do we use to bring, to take our people to the countries or well, bring the bring pastors the, over yeah, here? Yeah, bring the pastors here. Depends on the country. So uh, we will, so t- the usual process, uh, which depends on the country, is that if we're inviting them to Idaho, we will begin with a notarized letter inviting them to a conference a discipleship conference, and in that letter we will say, you know, they're paying their airfare or whatever it is. that We're providing housing, food, training. We lay that out. That's usually what they need in order to go to their embassy and get the visa. It can vary from country to country, but an official notarized letter of invitation from real life outlining where they're going to be staying, what we're going to cover, what the purpose is, is how we start with them. And, you know, it's a crazy world. So we have some pastors that haven't been able to get a visa for five, Ronald, six years. Ronald hasn't been able to yeah. get a visa for what? Four, five, six years. Yeah. Uh, and we have pastor in Pakistan. We haven't been able to get him to America for 10 years. But so we've met him in Kenya. We've met you him in I Turkey. We met him in uh, Dubai. In Dubai. We yep. spent a week with him yep. in Dubai. Yeah. So there has to be, sometimes yeah. there's creative. We have such a history of. People bring them here to Bible college in the past, and then they never return. Yeah. And that's the whole concept. Yep. Most of our pastors right. is, you know, we want to go to America. Right. And I would see a great danger of bringing yeah. them here. Yeah. Uh, they would, uh, you know, they have other ideas from their history. So it's not long term, but I think the biggest difference in what you're describing and what happens with us is their the relationship and the conversations and their understanding of the disciple of biblical relational discipleship and what they're trying to do in their country. Because I have experienced that many, many times talking to people. Yeah, we brought these people over for a year of Bible code and then they never, they never want to go back. And that's actually the concern of many of the countries that are issuing the visas is that if we give you a visa to go visit there, you know, you're, we're giving those to our best and brightest people and then they want to stay in America. We only get problem. to stay for a week. That's right. You're out of here. You're out of here. Yep. Taking you to the airport. No. All right. So I'll go a few more minutes and then I'm going to, I want to have Jim have an opportunity because I know he'll think of some stuff as he's sitting there. So I'll just give you an opportunity to get back up if you want. So we're going to kind of hit this part a little bit. 
Um, somebody read for me John 5.19. Por favor. 5.19? Yes, please. Uh, Jesus gave them this answer. Very few, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father do. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Yeah. So this is just the concept we want to hit a little bit. Like, we would know... So, so that is saying in there that the son does what he sees the father do. And he is only doing what the father has shown him to do. So we know that as we talk about the message of Jesus, I mean, even this ground is shifting today. But we would say we want to be true to the message, true to the word. That's divine. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't mess with that. That's called heresy if we do that, right? So we would know that. But this is talking about not, not only the message, because there's parts where Jesus says that too. I don't say anything except what the Father gives me to say. But here he's saying, I don't do anything except what the Father has shown me to do. So we would say that's talking about methods, and that tells us that Jesus' methods are also divine. Yes. So when I look at the methods of how he was a disciple and how he made disciples, I want to follow those methods as well as the message. That that's just as important. I can't, if I don't do the methods of Jesus, why would I expect the results of Jesus? So as we're putting together a process, shifting from whatever we've been doing, which is probably good stuff, but shifting it to a discipleship-focused international missions, I want to follow the message of, methods of Jesus. I've got uh, one of the first steps is what's, what's the vision, mission, and process that we're going to use? VMP, vision, mission, and process. And like Jim said, as the international discipleship pastor at Real Life Ministries, one of the high values to me is one, it's got to follow Jesus' methods. Two, this needs to line up with my church. Like why would the missions department be doing something different than the rest of the church? So... We have a vision that comes from Scripture in our church. We want to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. We, we have a, a mission. We're making biblical disciples in relational environments. And we have a process that lines up with that for doing it locally. So I want our missions process, our international process, to line up with that. So how do we do that? You've heard that the last two or three sessions. So we do that by taking Jesus model of discipleship, living it out personally, and then coming alongside pastors in other countries and walking with them to live it out. And we do that both male and female in the couples. We're going to not just center in on the pastor only, but the pastor and his wife, and then help them live it out and then help the core team around them live it out and help their whole church live it out. But early on in this relationship, it's going to move to them doing it with others as well. And pretty soon, you know, like, like Jim says, they don't need us, but they still love us and want us around because they like us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we go down the tiers, they don't even know us sometimes. So, like, there are churches in Africa that are, that are following this process that don't even know the name Real Life Ministries. And praise God, because it's not our process anyway, right? So a vision, mission, and process, know our target. So for us, the target is we want to come alongside those pastors Help them be disciples who make disciples and lead disciple-making churches that reproduce. So that's a win for us. If we see that here's a church, wherever it is, there's a church in Ecuador that is now a church of disciples of Jesus that are making more disciples of Jesus 
and they are reproducing. They're planting churches, and they're also helping other pastors in their country follow this same process. That's our target. So then, now comes the tough part. That's all easy. Now, now we got to assess the current process we have and figure out, is does that process lead us to these things? And if not, how do we begin to change that process? And Jim describes some of that. And that's the real work, right? It's relationally, how do we work with the partners we have right now and see if they want to move in this direction or if we need to honor the commitments we've made but then not not renew that partnership? There's all kinds of questions to be asked. And, and relationship is a key because it's going to be hard work. And some people might end up being upset, but most won't if we work it through well and relationally, right? And honor the commitments. When I came in, there was one commitment we had that still had almost three years to go at several thousand dollars a month. So that's a big commitment. And we didn't, we didn't tell them, hey, you don't fit our process, so we're cutting off funding. We, we actually talked to them about what our vision was, what the, what Jesus model was, we came to an agreement that that wasn't exactly what they were doing. We said we'd honor our commitment. And now, after that commitment was done, that was five years ago or eight years ago, we finished that off. Now that guy comes to our church for discipleship training. Wow. And now we're collaborating on some projects after all these years. So it doesn't always have that happy an ending, but you'll work through it slowly. Um, do you have the support? You know, so each of you is in a different spot, right? Some are pastors, associate pastors, senior pastors, missions people, missionaries. So it's going to be a different role. But looking at this, do you have the support of the people you need to have the support of? In my case, that's that's Jim and the elders and our executive team. So I know they're behind this. So for you guys, you have to ask, you know, is, is it a mission organization? Is it your church? Are you the person that's that can give the support does that make sense? But there's got to be alignment there. And then you, that's what we're talking about, doing that shift work and, and saying, take the time, invest relationally, make the process clear. You know, because why would we, you know, we know the pastors that we're working with have never seen this model, mostly. Jesus' model of discipleship. Why would we assume that that the mission organizations we're working with or the, the team that we're working with has seen it. So we don't say, oh, you're doing it wrong. We want to change, but we can journey through this saying, hey, let's look at this. Why don't you come to a, a discipleship training? Why don't you go to one of the DS1s that real life or the, or the relational discipleship network is putting on? You know, take time. And then we keep reassessing, reassessing. Have we made some of the shift? You know, you can picture a big a big boat with a bunch of people on it, and you decide you want to change course. We know we don't do it this way because everybody gets thrown overboard, right? So we start doing it this way, but we got to keep that target in mind and keep assessing each step. And and so no, no, we're still drifting this way on this. Let's bring it back in. And even after you've got the process in place, then you still have to keep assessing. And the last part, I would say. You're building that process, but there's a lot of equipping that goes into that. And, and you're not going to be able to do it on your own. So building a team. When I came to real life, I was not a team guy at all. My idea of a team was a few people who would just do what I told them to. And, you know, and if they had a different idea, well, then 
obviously they're wrong. So they don't need to be on the team. But but the concept of team, uh, of being able, because this is big stuff, right? So building a team of like-minded people that are committed to the same thing and understand that process, there's huge power in that. But that takes time and it takes equipping. It takes experience. He's an example of old dogs. Really old <laughs> dogs can learn new tricks. Extremely yeah. old. Extremely old. Do you know it was my birthday two days ago, Jim? Oh, three days ago. Birthday. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I won't I won't tell you how old I am because if he knew how old I actually am, they'd kick me out and retire me. So <laughs> we'll, we'll just keep that a secret. So process, shift, takes time. You each have different challenges. Some of you, the challenge is, how do I convince the guy above me or the people above me to do this? Some of it is, how do I convince the people I'm working with on my team? Some of it is, you know, the people we're working with in, in Japan or wherever it is, they, you know, this is like, talk about foreign. This is completely foreign to them. So how do we introduce this? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Keep chipping away at the goal. So uh, thoughts or questions on kind of building that shift or making that shift or process. Yes. This is probably not where everybody else is, but and it may not be easy to answer. Where I'm at, uh, I don't have a team. I don't have people below me that I don't have. Uh, I mean, I have all the difficulties of very authoritarian pastors, and like you mentioned, the pastor in America probably wouldn't be receptive to a like Okay, Japan has that in spades. So. I'm limited that way. It's going to have to be a certain kind of person even to approach a pastor. I also have, uh, as a missionary, the mission, the weight of the mission and supporting churches that are not in the same place. I am here. I've been here for you know, 15 years doing this myself. But to get it to go beyond what I'm doing, uh, do you have any thoughts or advice? I'm looking at my next term and my next steps, and I say me working in a small area and seeing some little success, in particularly some of the internationals in our area, very little among the Japanese for a lot of reasons, but to get other people on board seems like, uh, I don't know, being my head against the wall, I'm the only one in our area that is attempting this. I'm sure that can't be true, but it feels like But it feels like that. Yeah, yeah. You want to say on that? Well, I think, honestly, that's how, if once you start targeting what does a disciple maker look like, there are very few pastors in any area that are doing it. Right? And most Christians were discipled. It's like, the way to, to do this is, let's say that you had a home where you raised the kids to be like, watch TV whenever they want, go to bed, whatever they want. You know, they're fed, they're cared for. And you come home one day after conference, you go, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, make each of you different foods. I'm going to have one meal a day for dinner and you're going to all eat it. And, you know, you make any way, you know, you're, you're going to go to bed at a certain time. You're going to clean your room. You're going to do those things. They're like, no, I, this home was about my comfort. What are you talking about? You're going to, you know, I don't like that. Now imagine they had the same vote you did. Right. My problem with congregational vote is if 10 percent of the people are spiritually mature, they out the 90 percent outvote the 10 percent. It's like having kids. You know, I tell you, you better not have three kids. If there's two of you, they outvote you. <laughs> right. Let the crazy kids in the back seat drive the car because of the form of discipleship that's been used. You've got a bunch of spiritual infants and brats or spiritually dead people. 
in your community and even in your churches. So it, it starts with, rather than thinking big, it starts with making disciples personally and walking through that with them. And not every one of them is going to go, go with the goers. And, and pretty soon you find out that God, God does show you, God does give you who that person is. And it may be one and it may take a while, but you got to go slow, go fast. And you're going to, you know, we, we hear the same things, whether they're in Japan, you know, Uganda, America, no one else is doing this. My people won't put up with this. They want this. They want that. They want a sermon. They want me at the hospital. They want me, you know, they've been trained to want that. Of course they're going to want that. They may kill you, but what are you going to be about? What are you willing to suffer for? What is your values going to be? You understand what I'm saying? Well, and that's what I'm doing. It's just not finding, I don't know. I find results in the international community, not in Japanese. And it's very frustrating. I think that's yeah. just expressing my frustration. Well, the Japanese, you know, there's, cer- there's certain cultures that are, I mean, you know, they've been inoculated. Oh, yeah. And so it's not just, they're not open. So what do you do? Well, there's, there's cultures where people have died and saw one convert, right? But then they wrote scriptures in a language and they set the whole thing up for the next group. And now, I mean, it's just amazing what happened. But what about those people that died on the field trying to crack a, you know, you just do what God's called you to do and just trust that he's... Yeah, so I guess that's, that's my, my question if I try to narrow it down to where I'm actually thinking. Okay, I'm doing it myself and I have whatever results I can have in my, my town. Mm-hmm. How much... Um, is it worth spending the time trying to convince other people? Or am I better off just spending my time doing what I'm doing? Well, I think what Jim said is true. You do what you're doing, and don't worry about the scope and scale of it. But as you're doing it, be you know, be praying and be look on the lookout for it. is God going to give is God you know, a year from now going to give you a Japanese pastor who's open to it? Is God going to bring somebody else on your team? And, and yeah, you're unfortunately you're in the the tip of the spear area for that. How hard? How much effort is worth putting into that? So, I mean, is it worth twenty five percent of my time to actively pursue other pastors and missionaries who might be willing to? Have, have you ever done the workbook experiencing God? Yes. You know, I just believe in those principles. You know, look to see where God is working yep. and join Him. Yep. And here's here's something that applies a little bit to this. So when we first started doing this in real life, uh, you know, it, there's challenges, it's fun, you start to see some fruit, and the first areas to take off were, you know, Africa, Hispanic areas, what you might call the easier soil, the fertile, you know, yeah, of course it's going to work there, whatever. So when we began to be able to do this in New Zealand and Australia and see that it, that it was harder soil, but the results came by using Jesus process. So Japan, Jesus process will work in Japan. One of my favorite trips, I don't even know if you remember this, is you and I were over in, in Israel. Uh, I think, yeah, it was the first, first time we went to Israel. Uh, Bill Krauss, others were there. And the, Is, the Israeli pastors were not extremely open to this. And, and even there was one pastor's wife who was there. And as we're presenting some of the concepts of discipleship, we're talking about doing it in small group, and that, you know, take a group of 10 or 12, do that. And she's like, that idea will never work in this culture. And we're like, well, actually, there was a guy who lived here. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of developed it, seemed to work some. It's got some traction. So it it could take a while, but yeah, it'll work. 
before we wrap up, anything, uh, last thoughts? No, I know you're writing notes. So what do you want to share? Um, being faithful and just doing what God called you to do. A big church doesn't make mean they're more faithful and a small church doesn't mean they're less. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of ways to get big. Um, doing what God asks you to do, being a disciple maker, seeing, the, you know, stepping into the doors that God does open for you rather than worrying about the ones that aren't open right now. You know, and, you know, our culture in America is increasingly inoculated. You know, it used to be they were open. Now they start closed because of everything they've heard and said. And, you know, and so you keep fishing, but you reel in the ones that bite. And, you know, and you have the time to do it and you make the time to do it. And, and then, you know, you guys all know this. Sometimes you're doing the right thing and it just isn't working. So you think maybe you're doing the wrong thing. No, that isn't, that isn't true at all. Some of you are in such incredibly difficult places. And be faithful if it's the internationals that are, then go with the internationals, but keep an eye. Don't just, just say you can't reach it, just keep an eye. Go where God leads you. And, you know, if somebody got, if an American got saved and discipled in Japan, is that a bad thing? No, God cares about that person as much as he does Japan. Just like if a Japanese gets saved in my town, and, but I'm in an American town. Do I go, well, I'm not reaching people. No, you're reaching people. Just reach the doors. Go through the doors. You're, doing, you're there. First of all, you're already faithful enough to be in a hard place yes. and you're doing it. And that makes you special and unique. Yes. And God's using you and loves you. So just just keep doing what you Just know that in heaven there are going to be people, you know, that didn't appear to be successful and they're going to get the greatest parade. And then there's people that appear to be successful and they're going to be like washing toilets. I mean, I just think that's how it's going to be. <laughs> so. Amen. Uh, next session is at one o'clock. So you don't get much of a break. I think it's at one o'clock. Is that right? Yes. That's the last one. And we're going to hit the who. Uh, and this is, we're going to talk about like who on this side of the pond, who on your team, who on your church, who on the sending organ, who are the people you're looking for. And then we'll also talk about the who as far as the international, like when, what kind of pastors are we looking for? What kind of uh, people are we looking to share this with? What, what are the, the indicators that this might be the, the right person? And, and also, yeah, like I said, back on your team, like who might you want to come around you to strengthen you? Who are you looking for? All right, uh, Paul, would you mind praying for us to close? Thank you. Dear God, I just want to thank you for the chance to be here and for the information. And dear to God, just help us to know your wisdom on how to apply it. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One thing thank you, guys. Well, that wraps up all we've got for today. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to check out our sponsors at betterman.com and occ.edu slash masters. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next episode. Have a great day.